before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to tell you I am so, so excited to have been invited to be part of a live Facebook program called Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployhar, and it's on Tuesday, August the 10th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you'd like some more information about it, go to SPED, S-P-E-D, Homeschool Facebook page, and you can get additional details there. Our episode is called Teaching Students Self-Advocacy Skills. So please stop by if you get a chance. That's Tuesday, 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on the SPED Homeschool Facebook page. Today, I am talking about defining disability. When you get to college and you are looking for accommodations for your disability, sometimes there's a lot of different disabilities that people don't realize that they can get accommodations for, things that could help them in the long run. When students used to come to my office and they had an issue that I couldn't help them with, I used to intentionally sit down and talk to them for a while to see if I could discern or glean out some other aspects of struggles that they were having in their lives to see if something else might be going on that they didn't realize they could be accommodated for in the college. And so today I want to talk to you about heading to college with a disability and exactly what that means. How do you define a disability when you get to the college level? So welcome to College Disabilities and Success, episode 30, Defining a Disability by Mickey Hayes. The opinions in this podcast are my own, but please reach out to your college physician or legal services for any additional information. I thought the best way to start today's podcast was by using the definitions of disability that the ADA gives us, because that's what the colleges are going to use as their guideline for determining how they can help you. An individual with a disability is defined by the ADA as a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. A person who has a history or a record of such an impairment or a person who is perceived by others as having such an impairment. The ADA does not specifically name all of the impairments that are covered. That statement was taken directly from the ADA website. When I read a little farther, the next question that came to my mind is, well, exactly what is a major life activity? Because it says in the definition, a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. So what is that? Well, according to the ADA, a major life activity is hearing, seeing, learning, reading, concentrating, or thinking, or a major bodily function such as neurological, endocrine, or digestive systems. What does substantially limited mean? That was also mentioned in the definition. And again, according to the ADA, substantially limited is a major life act in a major life activity does not require that the person be unable to perform the activity. In determining whether an individual is substantially limited in a major life activity, it may be useful to consider when compared to most people in the general population, the conditions under which the individual performs the activity or the manner in which the activity is performed. So essentially, when you are substantially limited by something, that is in comparison to the general population. So the short version is an individual with a disability is defined as a person who has a physical or mental impairment. It limits one or more major life activities, has a history of that impairment, or is perceived by others as having that impairment. And it affects life activities such as seeing, hearing, reading, learning, concentrating, thinking, or major bodily functions. And to be 
substantially limited means that the issue that you're dealing with is more significant than general population. The ADA does not have an inclusive list of disabilities, so that leaves the definition rather wide open. So when an individual comes to speak to the disability specialist at their college and they have a disability, the college has laid out some sort of parameters that that particular college wants in terms of documentation. So it could be anything from a report, dated testing, letters from a doctor, medical notes. It could involve a variety of different things. And different standards for documentation are held by different colleges because each college is in a position to choose the kind of documentation they accept to provide accommodations based on those ADA guidelines. Now, there's a lot of disabilities that you're familiar with, learning disabilities, visual or hearing impairments, any kind of physical disability, ADHD or ADD, speech and language impairments, psychiatric disabilities, autism spectrum disorder, intellectual disabilities, developmental disabilities, traumatic brain injuries. These are all things that we're familiar with and quite frequently show up in the college offices in disability services. But there's also some other ones that you may not realize are also possible. We have supported students who were morbidly obese. Now, that doesn't mean obese like the general population is, myself included, but it means morbidly obese to where the weight of a person directly affects all kinds of other health issues. And that is a disability in and of itself. Alcohol and drug abuse is also a disability. Now, That doesn't mean you can go out and go to college and get support and go out and use drugs and get drunk. That isn't part of what that means. In order to be accommodated at a college for alcohol or drug abuse, you have to show proof that you are in treatment or some sort of specialized program to improve your condition. Your condition is not currently active. We see many students with HIV positive or AIDS We see students that, because of Agent Orange, are not even sure what their disability is, but there is clearly a physical disability going on. You may be suffering from long-term effects of COVID, and even though you no longer have COVID and you're not contagious, you may still have some of the residual effects from it. You could have a generalized anxiety disorder. Now, I want to talk about this in particular because that is a disability that we see quite often, but a lot of times students come to us and tell us they have test anxiety. We never treated test anxiety as a disability because unless it was part of an overall anxiety disorder and testing wasn't the only thing that caused you anxiety. So anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, yes. Test anxiety, no. In my experience, somebody else, another college may look at it differently. So if you have trouble taking tests and you do suffer from test anxiety, I would recommend that you go in and talk to the disability services people anyway. See, here's the thing. I had mentioned this in the introduction, but I would have students come to my office quite often who did not have documentation for a disability, but they had some of the behaviors and the symptoms of the disability, according to them. And I had to have some sort of paperwork to substantiate that from somebody who has given that diagnosis. So one of the things that I tried to do whenever I could would be to take some time and to sit down and talk with them and to kind of find out exactly what kinds of struggles they're having. One of the things that surprised me more often than not is when I would be sitting there talking to somebody about an issue 
and how they're struggling and how they might be able to at least address their struggles besides accommodations from us. They would start talking about, well, when they talk to their therapist or when they go see their counselor, and I'm like, wait, 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 stop, hold the phone. Tell me about the therapist. Tell me about the counselor. What is it you're going to see them for? Is there something significant going on there? Now, in many cases, people have this kind of a situation. They don't realize that whatever the problem is that they're seeking help from the counselor or a therapist might be an issue that disability services can help them as well. Now, think about this for a minute. Even if it's just extended time on your tests, when you're dealing with problems that take you to a therapist or to a counselor, mental health problems, physical problems, physical pain, where it's hard to concentrate, things that slow down your processing. That impacts how well you can perform on a test and how well you can show what you know. And it really does interfere with our concentration more often than not. Now, I'm not talking about social problems, boyfriend problems, girlfriend problems, money problems, the typical problems we all have in our lives. I'm talking about health-related issues and mental health-related issues. So bear that in mind. So if there's something going on in your life that's extremely painful and you have some sort of emotional trauma that you're dealing with, PTSD or something along those lines for any number of reasons, talk to the disability services people They'll tell you, they'll guide you through how they can help you, if they can help you, and the kind of documentation that you'll need to have for them. Plus, they know people. So if they can't help you, they may be able to refer you to somebody who can. You just don't know. Now, remember, Disability Services is not there to give you an undue advantage. They're not there to make your life ever so much easier that you can breeze through your classes. They are there to level the playing field. They are there to give you equal access. And an accommodation and recognition of a disability allows that playing field to be leveled. So if you are having trouble processing, if pain is keeping you from thinking clearly, if personal drama and situations are keeping you from thinking clearly, and you're seeing a therapist or you're seeing a counselor and you haven't really connected the two, be aware that it's worth considering and it's worth having a talk with the disability specialists. Now, some people I just couldn't do any help for. I mean, some people would talk to me and I'd listen and there just wasn't anything that I could do to help them without the documentation. That's the thing. All of these issues can be going on, but if you don't have a medical letter from your doctor, if you don't have some sort of a report, whatever it is your college needs, if you can't give them the paperwork to support the issue that you're talking about, then there's nothing they can do to help you that I'm aware of. But always have that conversation first because you just never know. The other thing I want to talk about is learning disabilities. I met so many young adults who were diagnosed with learning disabilities at a very, very early age. And they struggle with it still, some a lot, some not too much, but it was there. It was always there. If you have documentation of an early learning disability, take that documentation with you, or at least have that conversation with the Disability Services Office, because sometimes people can't get their hands on the early stuff when they were real little, and find out if there isn't a way that you can be supported and helped. Because remember back when I read that definition at the very beginning about a disability? Let me go back to that for just a moment here. An individual with a disability is defined by the ADA as a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. A person 
who has a history or a record of such an impairment. That's all of the people that came to my office with the fact that they were identified as having a learning disability in the first grade. And they didn't have any paper. They didn't have anything. They just knew they were identified. And it's still there. At least the impact of it is still visible or or still effective. They still struggle with learning disability issues. But the definition says has a history or a record of such an impairment or is perceived by others as having such an impairment. So that is a very broad definition. So think about that if you have super duper really old LD documentation. That doesn't mean you won't have to get new stuff, but it means that you may get some recognition up front for that learning disability. And sometimes just the simple act of getting some extra time on a test is really all you need. In many cases, with the technology and the assistive technology, the way it is out there today with screen readers and dictation and spell checkers and things like that, it's much easier to do the work than back in the old days before computers. So you're at an advantage there. But sometimes it's just the extra time for tests. And if you have a history of it or you're perceived as having that history of it, have that conversation with a disability specialist and find out how they might be able to help you. Same thing with ADD or ADHD. If you were medicated for it as a child or if you have a record of it from when you were a child, have that conversation because you may have to get an updated letter, but it's still possible that you could get accommodations for it because that's the kind of thing that likes to hang around. And so you're struggling with that, that ability to concentrate and the impulsive nature that ADD or ADHD has, that impacts how you can do at school. And what they want to do is, as I said before, the idea is equal access. So making sure that you can show as much as you know with equal access to everybody else. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you found some value in today's podcast. If you get a chance, stop by my website, mickeyteaches.com. I have just redone the whole thing all by myself, which is kind of scary. And I think I got everything squared away and I think I have all the links good. And I kind of think it looks kind of nice. So if you've got some free time, stop by and drop me an email. Let me know what you think of it because I really like it. I hope it helps you and it's a much easier and better way for you to reach out to, to people, reach out to me if you need to, and I'll be glad to do what I can to point you in the right direction. It's mickeyteaches.com, M-I-C-K-I-E teaches.com. And once again, don't forget to tune in to the SPED Homeschool Facebook page, nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time, Tuesday night, to listen to our talk on teaching students self-advocacy skills on the Empowering Homeschool Conversations program. I'm really excited, so I'd love for you to be there. You go to the SPED, S-P-E-D, Homeschool Facebook page for any additional details. Thanks. See you there, I hope. Have a great rest of the day, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Information contained throughout this podcast has been gleaned from my own personal experience. But to ensure accuracy, please contact the Disability Services at the College of Your Choice to have first-hand information and the most up-to-date policies and procedures followed by your particular institution of higher education. The content in any of these podcasts is not intended as a substitute for information from legal, educational, or medical professionals. Always seek the advice of your attorney or qualified health care provider with any questions you may have with regards to legal, educational, or medical concerns.